Welcome to On Democracy with F.P. Wellman, coming from you, uh, coming to you from beautiful Half Coast Studios in St. Louis, Missouri. We're sponsored by our friends at Vi Media. Vi Media is an award-winning digital marketing agency in the greater St. Louis area. They are a marketing partner that generates proven growth for their clients in a variety of different industries within the greater St. Louis area and now, well, nationwide, frankly. They can serve all of your digital market efforts, and I hope you'll give them a check out. You know, go just give them a call. They're, uh, you can go see them at vi.media. That's V-I-E dot media on the web. Now, this new season of On Democracy is rolling. I mean, it just keeps getting better. Today keeps getting better. We got great guests coming. I hope you're subscribed on all of your favorite podcast platforms. We finally got Apple figured out. Matt assures me that Apple's figured out. I'll, I'll take his word for it in Spotify. We had some challenges there, but we're getting there. Of course, we're on YouTube. Uh, that's where you can see me. Uh, as the name implies, On Democracy is a weekly discussion of the state of our democracy. Uh, my goal is to bring you the top voices you've heard from the top advocates, politicians, experts, journalists, and academics everybody, but also highlight those voices, you, you know, you may not have heard before, like my friend Chris Goldsmith last week. This week, you've heard his voice. <laughs> so we're in the fight for our democracy every day. I'm glad you joined the show. Of course, this week's guest is, as I mentioned, you've heard of him by now, but if you haven't, get out from underneath your rock. And with all that, let's get on with the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Fred Wellman. Welcome to Automogs with F.P. Wellman. I'm F.P. Wellman. So glad you're here. A uh, show where we talk with smart people about who are, who are out there fighting for our democracy every day across this great country. Well, and frankly, around the world at this point. Uh, we have another really cool show for you today. One of the smartest, most patriotic men I've ever met in my life. And a pleasure to call him my friend is the best part. He and his whole family. And the timing could not be better for us, you know, not just because he... He finally finished his doctoral degree, his dissertation, but because the war in Ukraine has reached an incredibly important moment. You know, Ukrainians are on the offense. Uh, Putin's still doing his silly games, trying to annex parts of uh, four different, you know, oblasts. Uh, it's dangerous rhetoric. It's assault on the global order. It's taken to a whole new level with threats of nuclear war, but also a critical moment in our, our country, right? With the midterms just less than four weeks away, uh, uh, we are facing a moment of our democracy as well as the global democracy uh, movement. So... Uh, for introductions, uh, you know, I've uh, I've uh, I've known Alex for geez, uh, just over two years, I think now, due to all the things, uh, of all things, we've met <laughs> we met because of uh, our family business in Fredericksburg, Virginia. So uh, I'll tell the story. And uh, not long after the first impeachment trial of Donald Trump, weeks into the pandemic, my daughter sent me a picture of an online order she was preparing from her Bath and Body Shop that she co-owns with her mother. Uh, it was for these people, the Vinmans, <laughs> and uh, and she was like, "Hey, Dan, is this?" That Vinman? I'm like, yeah, I think that's that Vinman. And uh, and it was. And I told her, I said, hey, throw some extra crap in there and uh, tell them a note. Tell them we appreciate their patriotism. And uh, a few days later, I got a Twitter DM with a, from a handle called Natsec Hobbyist. She says, hey, dude, I'm Rachel Vinman, and we've met. <laughs> and, uh, I think we met in your store, right? I'm like, oh, shit, because I used to work on weekends down there and sell soap. I was a soap ninja. So so we've been hanging out ever since. Alex Vinman is joining the show. Alex, welcome to the show. Good to see you. Good morning. Hey. You know, I hope you had a good holidays you. this week. Thanks for joining us after you got done with your holiday. We, we certainly do appreciate you taking time on your busy schedule. Uh, it doesn't need a lot of introduction, right? Uh, unless you've been hiding under a rock. Lieutenant Colonel retired Alex Vinman is a former Army officer. Served the National Security mm -hmm. Council in the White House as Director of European Affairs. Some stuff happened there. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> that was the capstone of an illustrious career, by the way. Most, most important, he was an infantry officer in Iraq where he was injured in an attack. See the Purple Heart for his combat wounds. Uh, you got to know him during the impeachment of Donald Trump when he first, other words, here, right, matters. 
and made fans amongst millions of patriotic Americans. Since his retirement from the Army, though, you may not know he's been hard at work on his Ph.D. through Johns, Ho- Johns Hopkins University, which, uh, as I guess, is your dissertation has turned in, Alex? Yes. That's, that looks like, probably why it looks, so, you look so relaxed. <laughs> now, his best-selling author, he's also the best-selling author, is a memoir here, Right Matters, an American Story, which you can see right here on screen. Uh, it's a regular on television speaking circuit. Alex has traveled to Ukraine to see the situation on the ground himself as recently as, what, two months ago, I think, Alex, right? Uh, a month ago, uh, month. August, late August. Wow. Okay. So he's intimate with all that. He's constant, that constantly changing landscape uh, of the war. And uh, I could go on and on. And on but you really don't want to hear me jabbering. So Alex, again, welcome to the show. It's great to see you, my friend. Thanks. I'm glad to be on. I, I want to assure you that Rachel was not sending you a thank you. You know, to get free stuff from your from the soap oh. from the soap <laughs> show, uh, it, it was not that. No, no, we're not, um, my daughter's pretty cutthroat, man. I don't think I think I cut off at that point. Yeah. I got a <laughs> no yeah. discounts. We, you know, you know, I think frankly, uh, Fred, one, one of the things we've uh, most appreciated about you is that you've been a, a dear and loyal friend, uh, an advocate, uh, a advisor. Uh, when we were way over our heads trying to figure out what to do, uh, you have you had a long illustrious career as a, a public affairs officer. Really, what what do I do now that I'm like you know been uh, dragged into the public eye? Uh, and uh, you know we we have a, a huge soft spot for you, and uh, consider you a dear friend. Always happy to join you. That's that's all. I appreciate my friend. Honestly, you guys are. Uh... The great people. Plus, I enjoy eating Greek food with you, so that's a lot of fun. <laughs> so uh, it's been too long. You know, uh, Alex, I, I know where do we start? Um, yesterday, uh, Max Boot put out an article, right, uh, in the Washington Post, talking about how Major General Patrick Donahoe of the Army is supposed to be retiring, uh, has had his retirement uh, held up due to an Inspector General uh, investigation of his behavior on Twitter. What was his behavior on Twitter, you ask? He defended... Uh, female soldiers, women soldiers who have been attacked by the right wing attack machine, Tucker Carlson, a guy named Josiah Lippincott, who I don't even want to say his name publicly because he's such a, you know, piece of work. Uh, but apparently the army decided that his, somebody reported him, we believe it was Mr. Lippincott and the army actually investigated it. And the IG, the United States Army's inspector general actually has found that his behavior on Twitter, where he literally defended our women soldiers and where he literally called out the misogynist attacks on them uh, are being, uh, he's being um, essentially possibly punished for it. Um, Censured. He's censored for it. Right. So to me, it's just, again, you, you, and the timing could be better when you're appearing on the show the next day. Um, And Eugene's your brother, Eugene, who looks a lot like you, it's weird, uh, (laughs) was quoted in the article as well for Max. I mean, you know, better than how the army, you you went through this. Um, What does the army think? I mean, where's our army? It, It feels Nuts to me. What, what's your opinion there, Alex? It is. I, I think, you know, it's um, this is, you know, the, the right speaks about this notion of cancel culture uh, where, you know, the, there's an, uh, an effort by Americans to call out um, trans legitimate transgressions, uh, you know, failing to uphold uh, uh, just kind of simple um, uh, decency and, and values and they call that cancel culture. But in fact, the one of the most uh, damning indictments on the Republican Party, the extreme uh, wing of the Republican Party, is that they, they are the biggest pro- uh, proponents and practitioners of can- cancel culture. Uh, you know, General Donahoe uh, was by all accounts a superb general uh, on a fast track. 
the head of uh, leading the infantry school in maneuver school, I guess it was the infantry right. school when I was there, the maneuver school. Um, that's usually a path to uh, promotion. We're likely to get a, a third star instead by defending, by upholding the army values, uh, loyalty, loyalty to his, uh, his subordinates, respect for his, uh, uh, for the military and institution, the army values. And by challenging extremist views, He's been uh, subject to investigations by an IG that at this point has investigated my own family one, two, three times. They investigated me uh, based on um, accusations by the White House that were proven to be false. Uh, They investigated my twin brother uh, after the White House uh, attacked him. This was under the Trump administration. And it turns out that they've actually investigated my sister-in-law because she happened to retweet my wife and in, in, in uh, for a retweet, they investigated her and they uh, gave her a letter of reprimand. That is deeply, deeply disturbing that we have a military that is panders to the extremist wing of the right because they fear the right. Right. They fear the backlash that the right could have. They fear the extremist actions that, you know, uh, uh, right wing uh, senators could take, whether that's Cruz or, uh, Blackburn, uh, Rubio, Graham, these folks would go out on the attack and uh, potentially impact these senior military leaders and their own careers. So they would pr- rather uh, could, you know, b- pander to these interests, um, investigate folks that are upholding the Army values, than, than uh, take a, a righteous stance to support their people. And I take this personally. I mean, I, t- I take it very personally. I, I certainly felt it acutely that I had nobody, nobody defending me from the military ranks. Nobody saying that this officer end, earned their place, uh, had a stellar military record, you know, nothing, nothing from the military whatsoever because they didn't want to run afoul of the president. That could almost be excused because it was Trump. Right. But for them to carry forward that kind of uh, uh uh, action forward to my brother who served after Trump left from office and my sister-in-law and these other uh, senior officers. We're not talking about a Lieutenant Colonel or a Colonel anymore. Right. We're talking about a two-star general and censure them for speaking up and defending their subordinates, not a political act, uh, a righteous act of, of a brushback, a simple brushback. It was nothing kind of no. uh, particularly harsh or, or anything in, in what the general said, but the mere fact that the general took the position to defend against the far right attacks is really shows a kind of rot amongst the senior leadership that I, I felt maybe implicitly intuitively that they weren't standing up on my behalf, but now is really quite apparent. Yeah. Uh, and it is a political act in, in itself to take these types of actions against my family and against uh, this, this major general. Well, and that's what I've said too, is, is I, I, I think they, in their heads, they're saying, well, we have to stay politically neutral. But the thing is when you try to be neutral, it seems like the only people getting punished and hurt are the ones who are on the side of righteousness. What they're right. saying is this is partisan, but you and I know this is good versus bad. This is right versus wrong. <clears throat> and by painting it as right versus left, 
uh, they've made it Parsons. So they're only punishing those who are standing up for their values. And that's what made me so angry when I read Max's article. And I had heard about this. I'd, I'd heard the rumors. I, I, I met the general a couple of years ago at that when I was still working in the military field. Uh, he's, he's always had a wonderful voice on online defending our values. Um, and especially what egregious to me was um, defending a young woman who was a trainee at Fort, uh, he was Benning was, or, and, or Knox and, uh, one of his trainees, let's just leave it at that. And, and she was being attacked. Somebody had posted her a picture saying she should be raped. Yeah. And what he said was, I see a tanker. <clears throat> this is a, this is a yeah. serving army officer. This is a serving yeah. army officer. And, yeah. and I expect the chain of command to defend them. And, and in a time when less than a third of the United States citizens can even serve in the United States military, women will not serve if they're, if they're open to this kind of attack. So when, when we see the leaders, they are standing up, <clears throat> for them and then get punished the it's message a, they're sending is the overtly, sure it's an overtly political act when basically the people that stand up for army values are the ones that are being punished right that is a political act that actually that uh, feeds into this uh this uh this view which is now actually uh fairly well proliferated that you have extremism in the military ranks you had disproportionate numbers of uh, a sort of veterans showing up on january 6th Right. It paints the picture that you have uh, a radicalized military. Right. And by punishing folks that stand up for values at the request, at the behest of the, the right is overtly political. Right. So there's that. That is the only way to see that. And it and, empowers them. Right. I mean, now they, they're not. They're, it's like sharks. Right. When there's blood in the water, they're going to swarm. Right. And that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing the swarms. Yeah. We're seeing Charlie Kirk and his ridiculous crap with, oh, the woke, you know, woke generals are all losers. We see them openly dividing the military against itself by trying to separate the leadership. Blake Masters, a candidate for Senate for the Republican Party in Arizona has said we should fire everyone above the rank of general because they're too woke and bring in people who think the right way, meaning MAGA. I mean, my God, the right way it's an, yeah, white. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, these attacks, I've never seen like in my life, the, the open attack, especially from what was supposed to be the Republican party, which I was a member of my entire adult life through my service and deep into my retirement. And these people have never served a day. Almost all of them have never served a day in their life. They don't understand the, 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 the concept of service. They understand the concept of self-service. That's what they've been doing, yeah. but they don't understand the concept of doing something selfless for, for the greater good. Uh, I mean, the, the, the only thing that, you know, I could say about the, the senior leadership, there is a, there is some rationale to this notion of the greater good protecting the kind of the greater good of the institution and making sure it's not uh, perceived as political. But once you go down this pattern, a well-established pattern now of only punishing really, you know, people that are outspoken uh, that are defending the values. Like, do you see any actions taken about against somebody like Tulsi Gabbard? No, no. Right. She still serves openly while she, while she smears the chain of command. Yeah. She's still off standing. That uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel in the Marines, how far did he have to go? He was given like chance after chance after chance before he was finally held to account. But uh, any kind of, you know, anything perceived as remotely um, provocative towards the right, even though if it's uh, if it's on principle, is dealt with swiftly and mercilessly. That is uh, they want they want, um, you know, military personnel to sacrifice themselves on the altar of greater good. But they should recognize that they are undermining the morale 
the good order and discipline, the belief that the uh, um, senior echelon will uphold the integrity uh, of the army values on, on this altar yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's it. We keep seeing it. And by the way, recruiting is down and it's in the course that it leads to more attacks. Like, oh, it's, it's, it's vaccine. Man. No, we, we get 19 vaccines every time we join, anyway, they join. So it's not, it literally is people are looking at this saying, I don't have a place. And this is something we learned right. when, I, when I was in the army public affairs, uh, I was at army headquarters uh, uh, when the army strong campaign, you may remember what you, you were in too. the army yeah. strong recruiting campaign came out. You'll appreciate this, Alex. And not about, about six months or a year after the army strong campaign came out, we had like, Female recruiting plummeted, right? <laughs> and, yeah. and we did, we did, they did study on it. Of course, recruiting command did a study and found that many women said, well, I don't feel like I fit anymore. I don't fit. I'm not mm-hmm. army strong. Maybe, you know, a lot of women, you know, they're not, they're not, you know, roided yeah. out gym rats. Right. And, and they didn't feel like they had a place. So we actually mounted a campaign through my organization, the army, the army public affairs, um, outlets that I ran showing that, no, there's a place for everyone in the military. There's a place for women. There's a place for, sure. men. you don't have to be a, you don't have to be a roided out gym rat. Like, you know, look, you know, look at me yeah. <laughs> and, and it, it worked. And, and I got to tell you, I, I, I believe in my heart that what we're seeing is people saying, I have no place in that. Uh, I have no place in that modern. Army, I think that's you know? right. And, and I think and, and that's right. Your side, you know, you know, honestly, we could, well, we could follow the example of, of um, Ukraine where frankly, a lot of women have signed up to serve. Yep. Uh, the men, men call them witches on the battlefield. <laughs> they are fierce. We could use some of that kind of action uh, with uh, courageous women, you know, joining our ranks and being effective uh, uh, troops. Respective yeah. soldiers, frankly, respect because we need them. We need them. There just isn't enough Americans yeah. who can serve via health, via mental health, who want via, to serve, who want Actually, to serve, who want to serve, right? Yeah, who don't want to just go on a um, radio. I mean, let's just transition right to that because there's a great transition. I, I, I love there was a video the other day, and it actually gets to our topic of the offensive in Ukraine. So we're going to shift to Ukraine because you know, that's hot. Um, but the, mm-hmm. it, it's it's interesting, and I think I'll talk about this first. It, what I loved about the video, there was a video, just a video, and it goes right in a segue. What we were just saying is it was the troops being replaced, right? So there was troops coming off the battlefield on their vehicles and there was troops marching into battle. And what I loved about the video so much was as the, I think the second vehicle passed, there was a woman soldier there, armed to the teeth, <laughs> flashing the peace sign, you know, coming off the battlefield. Beautiful, by the way. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, you we can get into that, you know, but yeah, I mean, that was the thing. Here's a woman just amongst her peers on top of an infantry fighting vehicle uh, coming yeah. off the battlefield after successful offensive operations with an e- smiling ear The reason ear. I point that out, Fred, is, you know, I pointed out the appearances because it really takes, uh, in Ukraine, it's everyone. It right. is not, you know, kind of like some sort of right. stereotypical uh, um, misanthrope or something like that. I, everybody signed up to defend the nation. It doesn't make a difference. I mean, there, it's it's a uh, it's a cross section of the entire society. So I think I you know it's important to understand that it's all fo- all kinds of folks right. uh, that 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 signed up to for national defense there in an existential crisis. And I'd hope we'd see the same thing in the U.S. There is not like a cookie cutter uh you know type of person that that should believe that you know they they could serve in in uniform or in other kind of public service there's all sorts of different ways to serve and i would hope to see you know all sorts of different people uh choose to to give back to our country as the ukrainians uh, ukrainian women uh, lgbt community everybody uh, everybody has pitched in there 
Yeah, it's funny how all those concerns go out the window when your country has been invaded by a ruthless enemy who's raping and murdering right. his way across your country, right? So suddenly the existential crisis changes things. And, and on that note, you know, you've 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 met President Zelensky obviously <laughs> a couple of times. Obviously, that's why one of the reasons we know you, right? Because you you had been on a, the phone call. You'd, you'd been to his inauguration, I believe, uh, as part of the delegation yes. of Mr. Zelensky's inauguration. You've you've met him since the war started. Um, it, it goes right to what you're saying, though. The, the country stepping up to the plate. He was a comedic actor. <laughs> right. And, and, and what he's done is he's inspired the entire world and he's led his country successfully. Um, yeah, I, I, there's no one's perfect, but you know, what, what do you think of that? I mean, seeing that arc, having seen him from the beginning at his inauguration, mm. know what he is now. And then having seen him just in August, I believe, wh- what's your perspective on Mr. Zelensky for someone who's actually known him and met him? Yeah, I think, it, I mean, it's, it's frankly a beautiful arc. Um, he came in as a inexperienced um, really, I mean, uh, un- unskilled politician didn't have the policy background, but very, very earnest, very, very earnest in his desire for uh, helping his country, uh, for enabling the prosperity of, of uh, uh, the citizenry, for um, enhancing the security of the country by trying to resolve the conflict with Russia, and uh, stumbled. For, for quite some time because he perceived that those, those challenges to be insurmountable. He kind of fell victim to uh, the, some of the lack of experience uh, and probably a, an elite that said, this is not something that we could do. We need a slower path. It's going to take time. And I think for some years, uh, he, his numbers, he came in with overwhelming support in the, in the, in the seventies. Um, which is, which is pretty darn significant. Uh, it's a mandate. And, uh, he failed to live up to the expectations of the people and deliver. But since this war started, all of those, uh, fears, all those beliefs that the task was insurmountable have evaporated mm. in contrast, in comparison to the reality of defending your nation against the second most powerful military in the world, holding your ground taking back territory, liberating territory. Now everything is possible. Now everything is reasonable. And he has, I think you could see that kind of fire rekindle to, to do the work that he, he uh, ran to be the president of Ukraine for and, and secure his country and basically put it on a path of prosperity. So he is, um, it's, you know, it's, it's almost like a, uh, some sort of, a well-written novel or a Hollywood story where you, know, you have the protagonist uh, come in, get knocked down quite a few times, and then really get back up and, and, and uh, persevere. Yeah. And that's, I think to me, that's one of the things that, um, that, that further endears him. I always thought he was quite charismatic and, and funny and interesting. Um, very, very likable. He was the, probably the, the most successful comedian, uh, uh, Russian speaking comedian period. And certainly one of the most popular in Ukraine. Um, and he managed to convert all of those skills, uh, to, to be an effective leader of a country at war, uh, and to lead his country to, to some amazing victories. Uh, but there's more to do. So a yeah. pretty likable guy. Yeah, it's funny. A human being also. Yeah, a human being. And and the acting, it's funny. I always think often somebody I was talking to somebody about Zelensky and somebody made the comment about him being an actor. I said, you know, 
there's a long history of acting being part of successful leadership. And if you've seen the movie Patton, which is a true story, part yeah. of the, the story, but if you remember what I'm talking about, there's a, there's a scene in Patton when, you know, Patton was famous for his, his thunderous temper and how he'd scream at his troops. And that was his style, which you can argue good or bad, you know, but that was Patton's thing. And there's a scene near the end when there, he thundered to the troops that he wanted them to do something. And, and the chaplain pulls him aside, says, you know, sir, you know, the troops don't know when you're, you know, really angry or just acting. And Patton says, they don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember this as a, as a, as a young officer too. And, and, and there's a place for a performative, you know, anger there's a place for a performative. And it's, so it's, it's not surprising to me at all that an actor can transition to where he is because it becomes real. It is real, right? You have to know to apply the right emotion, the, the right moment. And I think Mr. Zelensky stepped up to that moment. Yeah, I think that's true. I think, um, you know, I, it sounds maybe somewhat disparaging to kind of say fake it till you make it. It's <laughs> not in the military. We, we use that quite often. Right. You, you know, you gotta, you, you have to, uh, you have to, uh, like, you know, when you're called to do something, you have to uh, be motivated or fake motivation until right. it becomes real. It's uh, what amounts to esprit de, building a spirit of core. I don't think it's quite like that for Zelensky. I mean, I think he, he, Certainly, he played the part of a president of uh, like a uh, a um, of a school teacher in his sitcom, his successful right. sitcom, a school teacher that became president and then had to learn how to do it on the job. So some of it was, you know, he did the rehearsals. He literally <laughs> did the rehearsals right. for some of these things, not not the war itself. Um, so I think there's some of that aspect there, but in reality. Um, He's been in, uh, uh, the president for over three years. I think he's wow. got the role down quite well. Yeah. Not as a, an actor, but just a, uh, you, there's a lot of on-the-job training for, for whenever you take something new. And that's Especially just something yeah, that's like it. the president. So, president, yeah. yeah. And I think you're right. He's growing, growing the role and he's inspired his country. He's inspired the whole world. And, and now they're on the offensive, right? They, uh, they have, uh, they've built up, they, they've had a remarkably successful offensive. Um, obviously they're doing a very good job of operational security. So, you know, we don't know. And I love that. I love the fact that it's, we don't know everything. Um, you know, you, you're watching this unfold. You were there as they were preparing. I'm sure you saw some insight as they're preparing. Uh, how do you see that going? Where are we, what do you expect in the coming weeks? So, I'm going to start with the the, the negative. Uh, okay. um, I fear there's going to be a limit of advance. Sure. Uh, I think the, the Ukrainians are going to eventually hit a kind of wall um, where the Russians are pushed out of significantly more territory. The Ukrainians liberate a lot more territory in the east, including territory that the Russians have probably held since 2014. The Russians are going to be pushed out of Kherson, the largest city that they see since the beginning of the war. Uh, but eventually you'll have a kind of a thinner layer of Russian control in the South uh, that is more defensible, that the Russians could cover with the manpower that they're accumulating, that they could cover with their uh, artillery, um, with air power, with shorter lines of logistics. That's going to be tougher. For, unfortunately, I, I kind of feel like that could be a tougher fight for them. The, the Ukrainians have been quite surprising and frankly may very well even surmount the the my perceptions of a limit of advance and liberate right all of um all of ukraine up to crimea it just is going to be a much much harder fight but i could tell you in in that story there are going to be um many many lives uh lost in this on the ukrainian side but many many lives improved because for every inch of ground that the ukrainians take back they're liberating their citizenry that has been uh, 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 oppressed. So 
they've taken back 2000 um, square kilometers in Kherson. They're going to take back, you know, three times that or four times that when they liberate the, the entire city of Kherson and, and push the Russians, throw them back across the Dnieper River to the south. They're going to liberate territory in the east and they're going to just improve and liberate uh, um, the Ukrainian population from Russian oppression. And uh, that, that's a good that's a good story. Right. The oppression has been real. We saw the article from the AP where they found some like ridiculous, I mean, just horrible, horrifying torture sites, 10 torture sites. I saw a picture just the, I think two days ago of actual gold teeth in a box, which is blood chilling, uh, you know, from the, from our, the Holocaust. Uh, So this is a really ruthless enemy. Yep, it is. And um, the, the, there is no real uh, easy solution for the Russians. They, they're attempting to mobilize between 300,000 to a million people, but those are not combat ready. They're going to be operating on, on, uh, on pretty, pretty bad equipment, poorly maintained, antiquated. A lot of the best stuff that the Russians had that they've invested resources in for the past 10 years uh, has been erect. Yeah. Uh, has been um, basically battered through combat operations, and they're they're drawing on these you know near endless stockpiles of Soviet equipment. But that doesn't that's not a good mix when the Ukrainians are gaining advanced Western equipment. Right, and these they're going to be throwing in uh, untrained, untested troops. Uh, so this is there is no real quick, easy solution. The best Russia could do is hope to stabilize the lines. Uh, sometime over the course of the winter and try to build offensive capacity for another uh, offensive in, in the summer, in the spring of summer and next year, again, with no guarantees because the Ukrainians will be doing the same thing. They'll be integrating this equipment, the Western equipment in a better way. They'll have better trained troops. Uh, they'll be better prepared to defend their borders. So I think this is going to play out over another six, potentially nine months Um with a small possibility, but not an unrealistic possibility of a total Russian collapse once Kherson is liberated, uh, once ga- uh, ground is liberated in the east. So that is not a, a completely you know um, far-fetched notion that you could see a broader collapse and really uh, a bit bigger success. But I think it's a kind of unfortunately low probability, lower probability. And this is going to play out over the course of six nine months more, with at least one one more last gasp offensive from the Russians at some point in the spring summer next year. And, and of course, at the same time, we've got the, the larger geostrategic and strategic efforts they're doing, which is uh, which is actually I'm going to steal some of our questions on Twitter. We had some really good questions from Twitter, by the way. So mm-hmm. thank you, everybody who follows the show for sending your questions. I really appreciate it. And I love it. We, we keep getting more questions every week. Every week I ask for them and I keep getting more. So this is great. Um, you know, the, the larger strategic thing, he, I think, I, do you believe that Putin has made the calculation that the Dem- the Democrats will lose uh, in the midterms and that the West will, you know, historically the West, you know, so often, um, you know, runs out of time, runs out of patience, runs out of the, uh, the will uh, mm-hmm. for a long-term fight. We've seen that historically uh, for the last 30, 40, 50 years, obviously. Do you think there's a political Sure. calculation with Putin's efforts with these nuclear threats, for example, uh, and with the threats he's doing to, to undermine the Western support, thinking that he can, if he can balance things and then undermine the, that, he said that increasing support for Ukraine, that's his goal. Sure. So I think that's right. He's made the calculation that he could potentially have a more favorable Congress in the midterms. He's made the calculation that he could uh, fracture the support for Ukraine over the course of a protracted war. Right. He's made the calculation that he could uh, threaten the West with uh, nuclear Armageddon, but he's wrong on all of those counts. 
he is wrong on all those counts. He has been a very, very good judge of uh, Western reactions. I think for most of his career, he all he needed to do over the course of his preceding 22 years is apply a little bit more pressure, a little bit more force to get his way, but he's been disastrously wrong. Right. during the course of this war, I think part of that is that he's been insulated because of COVID uh, people are telling him what he wants to hear. And he, he pushed too far uh, in this case uh, the, I don't think the resolve is going to weaken around Ukraine. I, I have to say, I do fear uh, kind of a Ukraine fatigue setting in. I sense some of this already uh, unfolding. I mean, I've been able to raise about $5 million in, in uh, charitable contributions. It's getting impossibly hard. I'm basically telling people are telling me, you know, they could, which is a drop in the bucket in the big scheme of things, but you know, they'll, they'll help through the end of the year. And then, you know, that that's, that's about it. That's a, I don't know, understand how that works because this is a, uh, this is something that could shape the direction of security for the U.S. for the, for the foreseeable future. Ukraine must win. Yeah, uh, but I, I, I Mark Hamill's, some of that. Mark Hamill's uh, into it. I got my, I got my Mark Hamill camel. <laughs> yeah, I saw Mark. Mark has dropped in. He's supporting uh, buying drones. Uh, yes, I saw that. Started that this week. That's so. awesome. I know it's a, it's I mean, remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, so he, that's terrific. Uh, uh, I was able to to uh, encourage uh, Barbara Streisand to, to to do the same thing as an ambassador. Uh, I think the more the merrier uh, to keep attention on this. But I, I think there is th- that's the kind of thing that um, Putin kind of preys on. But in reality, I think the fact is we have a couple things that will prevent Ukraine fatigue from setting in. One is that the Russians are barbarians, continuing to uh, conduct and reveal who they are through these heinous war crimes. Right. Uh, the Ukrainians are amazing on the battlefield. They're very effective at communicating. And there is the promise that all of the sacrifice from the Ukrainians and this, you know, tiny bit of sacrifice, really the tiny negligible bit of sacrifice from the West. I don't want to, you know, uh, look, it's going to affect people's lives. People are going to have to pay more for gas, but if you put it in the, in perspective what the ukrainians are suffering for the fate of democracy in the world it is a small thing and because of the success of the ukrainians i think you you people are willing to bear some of that cost because they have some perspective with regards to the domestic policies in the united states and i'll wrap up with the nuclear threat yeah with regards to domestic policies in the united states i think you have an enormous amount of overreach by the republicans the Supreme Court of the United States is now perceived to be the, an extension of the Republican Party. It's perceived to it's a co-equal branch of government, and it's perceived to be doing the bidding of the extreme uh, wing of the Republican Party. And if there is a general propensity of the American public to want to have a balanced government, to want to return power to the uh, opposition party in government for that kind of balanced uh, uh uh, government, the Supreme Court has offered that in that you need Congress to balance against the extreme wing of the Republican Party embodied in the con- in, in the uh, Supreme Court. Right. So you, we've they've given people the excuse to continue to vote for the Democrats uh, to uh, avoid the most kind of egregious behavior of, of um, far right Republicans and uh, the, the attack on choice. Yep. which is really fundamentally an attack on, on women's rights, the yep. taking away of rights that uh, my daughter, uh, my wife enjoyed, yep. my wife had, uh, taking those away from my daughter, that is visceral. 
Yep. That is not something that uh, uh, can be allowed to stand. That is bringing new voters out to vote, uh, to to come out, mobilizing new voters to uh, vote for the uh, Democratic Party. So I think there's a very good chance that the uh, Senate is going to pick up some seats for the yep. Democrats. I think there's a path now for the Republicans. Uh, uh, for, correction. I think there's a path now for the Democrats to hold on to the House. Yep. That's a higher hill to climb. That's tougher. Um you know the rush the the republicans the russian republicans whatever uh have uh <laughs> have more line. paths to victory there yeah. but in reality i think there's that's doable now you could see the uh, the dems hanging on to that um house and then still continuing to advance the agenda that's going to uplift up the middle class uh protect democracy i think that there's a potential or good potential for a wave election in which the the uh, extreme wing of the Republican party is swept aside. Maybe that sends the message that uh, kind of normalizes the Republican party again. Lastly, on the nuclear question, this is a high stakes bluff for Putin. Yeah. He's not suicidal. He's not going to uh, launch nuclear weapons against the, the U S the, pro- the possibilities really haven't fundamentally changed about any attacks on the West because of the doctrine of mutually assured destruction. He, he, he's trying to preserve his, the reason he's taking these steps now with partial mobilization, with saber rattling is to preserve his regime. Right. He's not going to take a regime ending step by launching a, a, an attack on the, on the U S or, or the West, but there's a lower bar with regards to attacking Ukraine. The, the issue there is that it is an, a nuclear strike on Ukraine doesn't fundamentally change the battlefield. Right. It is not that powerful a weapon that we think, you know, counter we in the military, we we have this counter force counter value, counter value attacks are like on cities that really breaks the will of the population. Counter force attacks oftentimes are not as effective unless they're overwhelming. You need to employ a lot of nuclear weapons to destroy hardened military targets. Right. So it's not going to fundamentally change the battlefield. But what it does is it changes the geopolitical landscape completely for Russia, the vestiges of friendship from China, which is frankly losing its patience. It's suffering, you know, economic shocks as a result of Russia's war. Uh, the vestiges of a relationship with India would evaporate and they would all, I mean, it would be untenable for them to maintain relationships with them, especially India. That's a democratic country. So I think what you would see is uh, that is a, uh, that is a taboo, or basically an unbreakable taboo that warns off Putin. The last thing is that, We've introduced this this idea of what happens, what is what actions does the West take in response to a nuclear strike in Ukraine? We said that could be disastrous. We said that could be the end of the Black Sea Fleet. That we said that uh, that could mean that uh, Western NATO involvement in the war, whether that's arming Ukrainians to the teeth, which we've been reluctant to do, or or other kinds of actions. Uh, that is also a huge warning sign. Russia is having a hard time with this war. Yeah. It is then proceeding to take actions that would make it even harder to conduct a war. So I think all these things together really warn off the possibility of uh, a nuclear escalation here. And we don't haven't seen any of the precursors to that. Right. I would expect to see a, uh, a nuclear accident before that. I would expect to see, uh, you know, some sort of, uh, deniable attack on on the West, maybe cyber attack. I'd expect to see a chemical weapon strike. I would expect to see any number of different things before you go to the end stage, which is a nuclear strike. And we have not gone down that road yet. We can't be dismissive of uh, the possible possibility of nuclear war. We are entering a higher risk um, environment. 
Putin's put his regime credibility on the line with his partial mobilization. He's taken the destabilizing step of calling up people uh, and, you know, indicating that the war is not going well. Right. And, uh, you know, put, putting a cost on the middle class with regards to bearing the, which they haven't had to do since the beginning of this war. Right. Uh, so we are entering a higher risk stage where there's maybe a, a chance of accident miscalculation. But I wouldn't say that the risk of a nuclear escalation is substantially higher than it was, you know, two weeks ago or two months ago uh, or, or really two years ago, certainly for NATO, a little bit less so for Ukraine, but still not not substantially higher. That's great. And I, I, yeah, I think you're right on. And, and it'll be interesting, too, to see if this mobilization, what does the economy, they've, they've, they've done pretty well. I must be honest. They've done pretty well maintaining their currency, maintaining their economy through this in a lot of ways. But when you rip 300,000 men or more off the streets, uh, who are the majority of their workforce too, um, it's, there's no way that doesn't impact the economy in, in ways that is, is incalculable. Well, so, supposedly it's up to their, you know, the mobilization may now. up to a million. And, uh, I think it's that. I think it's the sanctions. I think it's uh, the increasing isolation. I think it's the fact that all those benefits that you alluded to with regards to managing to preserve the currency and, uh, you know, the oil and gas boons, those are actually starting to evaporate. Right. There is there is a huge um, decrease in in the value of revenue or the, the revenue that they're generating from oil and gas sales. Uh, as a after effect of uh, the sanctions. So there there are no more like, you know, billion dollar uh, windfalls to come. It's right. just going to be harder. Uh, and the Russians, Russian economy is going to uh, start to, to take some significant shocks. Yeah, I agree. Um, the, there's a couple questions about NATO, um, you know, I, 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 to just kind of coalesce it, you know, there's a lot of discussion about them joining NATO. There's a discussion of them being eligible. I know a lot of our political uh, leaders on both sides are trying to avoid the question. Um, what do you think as far as it realistic possibility that Ukraine is admitted to NATO? Is it, is it, we wait, we wait. I mean, as far as a relationship, NATO, how do you see that? Yeah, I think the fact is that it's going to happen eventually. Um, you know, the, 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 there are typical hurdles with right. joining NATO. One is uh, values. You need to have uh, values aligned. You need to have kind of an institutional alignment with regards to reforms and uh, corruption to integrate into NATO. It's it's as much a political um, draw as it is a, uh, a a military defensive alliance. Uh, those things are are moving in the right direction. Uh, the Ukrainians are na- uh, integrating into NATO because they're adopting NATO equipment. They're they're effectively defending the country. They would be a value add to NATO uh, in terms of the collective defense um, of of the of the alliance. The biggest hurdles, of course, are the political ones. Yeah. That Russia maintains a veto over Ukraine NATO, uh, Ukraine joining NATO, um, and it's not something that's going to happen in the context of this war. Right. But I I I believe that sometime on the far end of this war. Uh, with a greatly diminished Russia, there'll be an opportunity for Ukraine to join NATO and basically prohibit uh, this scenario from unfolding in the future. And that is a urgency to the alliance. It was a mistake. My doctoral dissertation kind of talks about this a little bit. You know, uh, the reasons that Ukraine didn't join NATO were uh, that it would be provocative towards Russia, that it could potentially create a, a confrontational environment that it could create a confrontation between Russia and uh, Ukraine and Russia and, and NATO. That's already happened. Right. What, what is it that the Russians could do now? 
So I think the fact is that, you know, this is going to likely the only thing that could potentially warn this off is that we've we tend to be very, very, very delicate around Russia. Yeah. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to gloat in our victories like we did in 91. Right. Uh, we wanted to be very considerate about a Russia uh, and, you know, it's, it's statu- status and stature. I think those, those things, those considerations could uh, rest uh, Ukraine joining NATO by, by my my money would be on Ukraine joining NATO sooner rather than later, probably, you know, the five, 10 year time frame, And uh, that'll be the end of that. Yeah. And what happens to Russia now? So the other question is, I mean, what do you see? Is, I mean, obviously there's a lot of uncertainty in Russia right now. There's a lot of uncertainty with Putin, his health. Um, you know, he's probably staying away from windows, I'm sure, <laughs> at this point. Uh, you know, sure. I mean, will he will he die from cancer? Will he die from a, a window fall? I mean, what, what do you see in the next year? Sure. I, I'm very, a lot of folks are interested in that. Yeah, you know, I would say that I don't know if I see that much of a change in the next year or two. Okay. Uh, I, I do this in terms of like, you know, kind of an analyst in terms of probabilities. I see a low probability of a palace coup. Right. Uh, they're all like-minded. They know where their bread is buttered. Um, you know, they, they understand what would potentially happen, you know, if uh, the, with the factionalism and infighting in, in terms of removing Putin, who's a, an effective arbiter amongst the various elites, um, so I don't think that it's likely that it's going to be uh, a palace coup. I think there's a slightly higher probability of a civil, a su- sufficient civil unrest. I think it's still remote, though, right. uh, that you have a, a groundswell of opposition. I think the problem there is that uh, Russia has almost an endless capacity for repression, <laughs> and they have only just begun to kind of uh, uh, use security tools to uh, suppress opposition. And I think the fact is that they would violently crush opposition and you would basically need an opposition that is prepared to bear that cost and uh, be cohesive and coherent and overwhelming this massive security apparatus. That's unclear. Right. Um, so what, what does that lead me to? Uh, leads me to the fact that Putin's going to stay in power for a while. Yeah. I think that I could see a, a mark on the wall in 2024, which isn't that far away. Uh, where he's at the end of his term and he might look for somebody else to take just like he did in 2008 to, uh, to he'll pull the strings from behind. He'll still be the decision maker, but somebody else that's the face of Russia that allows some normalization of of relationships between Russia and the, in the West on the back end of this, um, you know, doesn't nothing fundamentally changes, but at least appearances gives the, you know, the the French or other wishful thinkers, a, 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 a path to kind of normalize. So I, I could see something like that happening, but I also w- would say that Russia is fundamentally is 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 has lost uh, this 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 uh, idea of empire, and that's probably going to start to slowly unwind. Right. The center has proven to be brittle and weak in certain regards. There is unrest around the periphery, uh, places like the North Caucasus protests. Um, and in Russian weakness, these these regions um, that have really amounted to colonial holdings will will look for opportunities to unwind. Um, Russia has lost an enormous amount of influence over the former Soviet space, all those you know Central Asian states and Caucasus and uh, you know uh, Belarus and, and Ukraine, uh, Belarus to a lesser extent because uh, you know they're they're like minded and and yeah they're uh, 
Russians have basically owned that country in certain ways now. But in general, uh, this is this is a now become a much more brittle empire that will likely weaken and potentially unwind, frankly, which is which is risky, but it's beyond our control. And we right. don't we don't get to decide whether Russia unwinds or not. It, it's its own na- the nature of the regime. It's the nature of the decisions it made with regards to this war. And we just need to be prepared for the consequences of that, manage the consequences of that, rather than believe that we can somehow shape the consequences of that, like we did in 1991 or before 1991 when we tried to prop up. Uh, we really did try to prop up, um, you know, frankly, the the Soviet regime to a certain extent yeah. because we were concerned about loose nukes and, you know, uh, balkanization, you know, a lot of civil war and things of that nature. It was, it was way beyond our control, but we have that kind of – you know, hubris as a, as a great power. That's what we do. Uh, this is great. And I think uh, with the last question, so as I think I met, you know, the, the, one of the folks on Twitter said, you know, I think you should discuss NATSAC hobbyists, which, <laughs> which is funny because, uh, you know, I probably complained to her more than I do you about the state of our nation. Um, but it's a great place to tell the story about, you know, we, we the first time we met you guys, the first time I met you guys, uh, we came down to Richmond. I was living in Richmond at the time and you were deciding to retire. So we decided to meet, we met for brunch during the pandemic and got a nice secret booth in the back. So nobody would recognize us. And I had not met you in person. And, uh, and you guys sat down and, and here's you and then Rachel, your redheaded Oklahoma spouse. <laughs> and, uh, and we're talking and, and Rachel blew me away. I remember saying to myself, Oh, I, I like you, Alex, but I really like her. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people have seen you. And, and if you remember, um, so a lot of folks don't know, watch or may not know, and they'll see it. Actually, I think they're going to see it on the Lincoln Project documentary next week uh, or in two weeks, probably, uh, that we did an ad together. One of your first political acts uh, was to partner with Vote Vets and with Lincoln Project, myself at Lincoln Project. And we did an ad. And I had the great privilege to write that ad. And for those who don't know it, I wrote the original script for that ad. I think you may see it on TV for Rachel, <laughs> right? Like mm-hmm. literally the entire script was the only lines that were spoken were Rachel's <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and cause, cause one, I knew you well enough to know, and I love you to death. You know, this, uh, you're stiff <laughs> and, uh, two, she's it, got fire, but the story was about an American family. I mean, and then of course it got changed in the set. Tell us what happened on the set though, Alex. <laughs> sure. Well, so I think, you know, the fact is that she's, she's much, she's, she's very outgoing and, um, you know, amazingly, uh, charming, uh, very, very good with people. Yep. I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily put, put me on the other side, but, um, <laughs> she's better. She's, uh, I think she's better. Uh, I, I would, I'm going to describe it as this way. She's better scripted. I'm better unscripted. There you go. <laughs> so it's, uh, it, it, it also was played out that way in the testimony. Like right. when I was reading the script, I was stiff when I was answering <laughs> questions, it was much more casual. So I, I'm good kind of um, off the cuff, impromptu, um, uh, spontaneous. Um, and for me, it's, you know, it, it's just kind of more natural that way and, and authentic. But I've gotten better. Yes. I can be, I can you be have. directed. Oh, you're on, you're you on yeah, Larry David's show, yeah. you know, <laughs> you got yeah. your acting debut. She's, and- yeah, it's, she's, she's, she's awesome. Uh, and yeah. like, you know, she's, she's the rock, she's a rock. Yes. She's very, very passionate. Uh, yes. That's, you know, a good thing and a bad thing sometimes. Yep. Uh, Cause I, I take, some, I could take some of that heat, uh, but she's, she's great. And, you know, she keeps everything. Uh, she keeps the, she keeps the trains running on time. Yeah. And she, and she, she drives her own. That's what they said about Lennon. I think, you know, she keeps the trains. <laughs> 
Yeah, not sure it's a so. compliment you think it is, but having said, no, it's, it's terrific. I, I wish you could. Judge. She joined me in my very first show because she's just a wonderful human, and the work she's doing for our democracy is just as important. And, and the she's ad, been and, all of this. yeah, she's been yeah, right she's been in the fight of it, right in the fight. Ohio, Michigan, uh, North Carolina. She's going to P, uh, wow. PA wow. Uh, uh, here, like actually this after, uh, you know, yesterday or this, today. Actually, I should probably know this. But, yeah, whatever uh, day it is. <laughs> yeah, whatever day it is. You got to take care of the puppy. Um, but it's only for <laughs> a day. So I have to just uh, deal with that for a day or so. Yeah. But uh, she's 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 very, very motivated. And she's fighting to ensure that, you know, our daughter has uh, enjoys the same kind of, of uh, rights that my wife Rachel has for her life. Yeah. And I think, and that's what I think I, I'm hopeful. I'm told that, uh, your ad that we did is, was filmed and it was that it's in the, in the Lincoln project documentary, Fisher Stevens, uh, the director told me that, that one of the story arcs was the development of your ad. Uh, and they, they were there yeah. to film. I think my son was there as a matter of fact, Hunter was there too. <laughs> and, uh, so we'll see. And, and what's important. And I love that ad because it's called an American, you know, American family. And it's about what your family right. went through when you stepped up and did your duty, uh, the most powerful man in the world attacked you and what we, and I think that's a great place to wrap our conversation. You know, it, it is, you know, you, and I'm so proud to know you and your family, you are an American family that you've been through the ringer in this environment and, and, and the strength you've shown us all, both you, your family and and everyone and, and, and Eugene and, and Cindy and everybody is, has been remarkable. It's an inspiration to so many. I'm, I'm honored to know you. I'm proud to know you. And, and with that, um, so Alex, where can we find you? What's next for you? What's hot? Uh, where can we see you next? Uh, what do we sure. see next? So I would advise people to follow NatSec Hobbyist. She's far more entertaining. <laughs> I'm also, uh, so she's at NatSec Hobbyist on Twitter. I'm at a Vinman on, yep. on Twitter. Um, I am doing the things that I kind of committed myself to do on my first day out of uniform. I'm, I'm involved in advancing U S national security. Yep. I work as a senior advisor uh, with a vote vets yep. advocating for, you know, democracy defending candidates. Um, I run a program in there called informed American leadership, where I talk to Congress, the white house, uh, the press about good policies, uh, policies that will, will protect the United States. So I'm very proud to, to be involved there. I've got my academic affiliations, whether it's Hopkins, I'm probably going to do something with a couple of other leading academic institutions. I just submitted my doctoral dissertation. I have to defend that, that thing. Looking forward to that. And then, frankly, I'm doing a lot of work with regards to Ukraine. One of the reasons I took a trip to Ukraine was to plug a hole. You know, the, the, our policymakers are reluctant to do too much on the risk of escalation. Um, fortunately, we live in a democracy. So I could assemble resources to help the Ukrainians uh, specifically service all of the Western equipment. So that's a project I, I'm, that's dear to me because I know it's a huge enabler, as we know, yeah. uh, logistics are what win wars. Yep. So I'm going to help the Ukrainians do that and anything else I could do, you know, charitable contributions. That's where I, that's where I'm going to be. Wow. I, uh, I got a podcast and I'm doing some other stuff. So <laughs> I better, I need to get off my ass obviously. So Hey, maybe it's hiring, you know, give me a call. Cause yeah. I think I'm on a board. Yeah. You know, think about doing, camp- yeah. The thing about oh, doing yes. politics, the politics works you know, on, on uh, the day after, the day after election, you're unemployed. So that's fun. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, and you know, we're going to, we've got some great campaigns going. Like Marcus flowers and uh, Luke, my friend Luke Mixon are, uh, are in the yeah. fight. So, uh, so I'll be calling you on November 9th, Alex looking for work. So anyway, man, thanks Thank for joining you. us. What a, 
great time. I, I can't tell you how much I enjoy talking to you. I appreciate you taking time uh, uh, after your holiday and and, and, and taking time for your busy family. As, as you said, you mentioned you can find Alex at A. Vinman uh, on Twitter and everywhere else. Uh, as you know me, I'm at F.P. Wellman. Uh, I've got an official Instagram that is mostly pictures of me hiking these days, uh, which is weird. Uh, tell your friends if you like the show. I, I hope you'll follow us. I think we'll have Apple. Matt's nodding at me knowingly. We'll have Apple and Spotify figured out. So we'll be back on there and everywhere else you find your, your podcast, of course, right here on YouTube. So with that, I'm really excited about next week's show. We've got a really special guest. Um, as I mentioned, the Lincoln Project documentary is premiering uh, Friday evening on Showtime. I, I'm not sure if I'm in it, where I'm in it, or when I'm in it, if at all, but I, I'm told by uh, the directors I am in it somewhere, so you'll see my face. I was a little bit bigger then, but hopefully. <laughs> but uh, that should be really interesting, so uh, hopefully I'll, I'll see some fun there. So without all that, thanks, everything. Thank you, Alex. Everybody, if you're our followers, our friends, you know, we're in the fight for our country. We're four weeks out from one of the most important elections of our lifetime. I, I cannot emphasize enough how much it's important you get out and vote no matter where you stand. We have to participate in this democracy. There's no other choice. Our lives are at stake. Our futures are at stake and, and our friends and lives are at stake. So please get out there and vote. If you can't vote, you know, if you can't, you know, donate money to a campaign, they all need volunteers. They need you to canvas. I'll put a plug in for canvassing. I was afraid to canvass. Okay. I've never knocked on somebody's door, a stranger's door and then pitched. And I got to tell you, I did a couple weeks down in Georgia for my friend, Marcus Flowers. I had the time of my life. Uh, I was talking to great Americans. I was talking to folks who live in Atlanta. I was, you know, in, in neighborhoods, I wasn't always, you know, thought I'd be welcome in and boy, was I ever welcomed. And so if you've got the time, volunteer the campaign, grab some of their stuff, get out there, talk to your fellow Americans about voting. I was really proud we, we turned people out to vote and, and you can too. So with that plug for our democracy, thanks for joining on Democracy with FP Wellman and we'll see you again next week.